The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the 16th chapter. Jesus said, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them right now. When the Spirit of truth comes, that Spirit will guide you into all the truth, for He will not speak on His own, but will speak whatever He hears, and He will declare to you the things that are to come. The Spirit will glorify me because He will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. For this reason I said that He will take what is mine and declare it to you. The Gospel of the Lord. Y'all can be seated. So today is the, the Sunday that we celebrate the Holy Trinity. I kind of affectionately call it well-meaning heresy day because many pastors across the nation and the world will try in various ways to describe what the Trinity is. Some will talk about four-leaf clovers, and many of my seminary professors, I think, including Dr. Hawkins, recommended against that. You know, we, uh, we, we do this because we think a lot of times that faith really has to be something that gives us answers, because we are uncomfortable with uncertainty, we are uncomfortable with mystery, and let's face it, not only are we uncomfortable with those things, but we'll do just about anything to avoid that feeling of having to say, well, I don't know, what do you think? And even when it comes to God, God who is not from here, God who is completely other, God who is so alien to us that God was able to create us, still, when it comes to not understanding God, it makes us nervous. And so when we hear something that's a mystery in our faith, something that we say right up front we'll never understand, Things like baptism, knowing that somehow, in a way that we don't understand, water and spirit mingle to create something holy within the believer's heart that transforms us into something else. Things like communion, knowing that somehow Christ is present in, with, and under the elements of the bread and wine, but we'll never quite get it. We still aren't stopped from trying to make lengthy explanations of what they mean. Now, two things. Fear not. Pastor Blaylock, who couldn't be here this morning, said next week he'll have it all figured out, so make sure to ask him. But the second thing is, I think one of the reasons that we we do such a bad job of talking about the Trinity is a lot of times we try to talk about it in terms of the nature of God when the Trinity is as much the relationship of God. Trinity is a relationship word more than it is a nature word. And relationships are another one of those mysteries that I think make us uncomfortable because there is something that in abstract we think are sure and strong that we can depend on, but in practice, I think all of us have that experience with relationships that make us realize that maybe we'll never understand the people that we love. I've been married for 15 years, and it was at least one night this week that I said something that I didn't think was all that bad, and my wife got upset, and it was a mystery to me as to why. And you'd think by now I'd learn, but some of us just have our, have our crosses to bear in terms of what comes out of our mouths. It's a, it is a mystery, though, relationships. But there are a few things that, that we know about our relationship with God and our relationship with, with each other that I think we can say for certain. The real relationships, the ones that are meaningful, the ones that feed us and nourish us and hold us up, are the relationships in which we can count on people when the chips are down. That old saying, laugh and the world laughs with you, cry and you cry alone. A good relationship is the one that doesn't let you cry alone. 
you know, I think about what, the, what God's relationship with us is. And one of the first verses and stories I think about in the New Testament is the story of Jesus as he prepares to go and raise Lazarus from the dead. You know, we've heard this story enough that we know before Jesus even sets out what he is preparing to do. And yet, he does a couple really peculiar things. First, he takes three days, partly because three days is important in John, and and you can guess why, but also because it's important for him to prepare. So, God never comes to us unprepared. The second thing is that when Jesus meets Mary and Martha on the road, he very easily could have seen their tears and say, why are you crying? I am here to do something great. Lazarus might be dead now, but just you wait. Good things are going to happen. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus met both Martha and Mary on the road where they needed to be met. Martha, he met with the story of faith. Do you believe in the resurrection? She needed to know that all was still right in the world, even though she was deep in grief and pain, that God was still God and the stars were where they belonged. And somehow, even in the midst of their pain, they would have hope. And Jesus met Mary and said, where have you laid him? Offering her the chance to do the very thing that she loves to do and needed to do in that moment, to care for somebody and give an invitation, we'll come and see. And Jesus did the very thing that she needed. He wept with her. I don't think this is an accident. It's not something to draw that part of the gospel out longer because God knows that story is about this long on the page. But the reason that Jesus did this was to demonstrate to us what the kingdom of God is like. The kingdom of God is a place where those who are weeping do not weep alone. The kingdom of God is a place where God does not cheapen our suffering by jumping right to the good parts of the story. But God is willing to stand with us in the midst of our suffering. To stand with us in in those places where so often we think we are broken and dead and done and there is no longer any hope. And give us that thing that we crave sometimes more than anything else. The knowledge that we are not alone. And so Paul writes today that we boast in the opportunity to share the goodness of God. But even more, we boast in our suffering. Because suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope, and hope will not disappoint us because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Spirit. As people of God, we are a people who recognize that suffering is not the end of the road, but while there is weeping in the night, there will be joy in the morning because where we weep, where we are troubled, where we are frustrated, where we are angry, where we are broken, where we are living in the places with no hope of any life having any possibility to spring up, God is there in the midst of that space, declaring where I am, new life springs up, because that's what creation does in the presence of its creator. It comes to life. And the dead are raised, and the sick are healed, the naked are clothed, and the hungry are fed, and there is much rejoicing. For those of you Monty Python fans, yay! And we have an opportunity to share in this as the people of God. This spirit of truth that Jesus sends to us is an important thing that we hear because this spirit is telling us the truth that our hearts don't dare to believe that in the moment where we are most afraid, God is with us. 
in the moment where I'm feeling the most broken and I'm certain that because of the things I've said and I've done, no one could ever love me if they really knew it. God is with me. And in those places where I'm certain that nothing can ever be right again, God is with us. And this is the truth of the gospel, that through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have the hope that sometimes we don't dare to hope that we really are not alone, even when it feels that way. So what do we do with this? How do we take this from the pews and put it into the street? We as the people of God are called to be Jesus' hands and feet in the world, to go into those places that are uncomfortable, to go into those places that are broken, to go into those places where people hang out who don't look like good Christians, where people hang out that don't profess to be anything like Christians, and declare in those spaces that this is where the new life of God begins. That this world is not something that God is leaving behind, but that this world is the place where God is establishing the new kingdom. This world is the place where God promises to be, where God promises to come, where God promises to dwell, where God promises the new kingdom will be established. Because our hope, our joy, our promise that we get through the death and resurrection of Jesus is not that some glad morning when this life is over we fly away to play harps on clouds with Jesus, but some glad morning we will awake in that prayer that we pray every Sunday, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven will be true, because this is the place that God establishes as the fullness of the kingdom. Here in this church, here in this city, here in this state, here in this country, here in this world, God declares that new life begins with a bath, with bread and wine, with the words that come from our mouths proclaiming God's glory. And with all we do and say, we are the bearers of this news to the world who needs to hear it so desperately. How will the people in your life hear this good news as you boast not only in those good things, but in the sufferings that lead us to hope as well. Amen.